0: Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we go into overtime in part two of the ABCs of Nintendo sports. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark,
1: how's it going? It's going great. I feel like uh, this would be a perfect opportunity if I owned one to like break out the Jock Jam CD, Volume like oh, yeah. one, and just like really get down with it. Dun dun dun. dun, dun going all dun, the dun, way back. Dun, 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 dun. Um, that's not going to sync up at all when, when
0: <laughs> <laughs> put the episode together. So I apologize for trying to sing with you. Um, Mark, do you remember, uh, th- there was a time a couple years ago and maybe I shared this picture with you and maybe I didn't. Um, but I was in my car, uh, driving behind a Jeep that had a vanity license plate that read jock jams.
1: I have a memory of this because when somebody tells you something so beautiful you don't that's right forget it because i don't know about you but like i see people with vanity license plates and to me it's like a tattoo where it's like i see people with them and i respect that they have them but i'm like that's not for me because i don't know that i could commit to a thing like what would be my vanity license plate i just don't know
0: yeah i mean it's tough because like i don't know i think you and i both Uh, well, well, I think we have like obvious brands and it's probably way easier from the outside to be like, I know what these dorks are about. I feel like we don't want to associate ourselves with like any (laughs) one thing or concept, right? I
1: think that's very true and very telling.
0: (laughs) I know. God, we're the worst. But like, there's someone in my neighborhood who has uh, a vanity license plate that reads set life.
1: Um, someone who's on set every day.
0: Well, it's, it's a, someone who works in film.
1: Is it? Or right. is it somebody who's like a trust fund baby and is just set for life? Mm, or someone who likes to have a very particular life, just everything set just so. They like setting the <gasps> table.
0: Or is it someone who's really into Sonic Forces uh, and should get on the Sonic Forces borrowing program? Uh, they could do that very easily by emailing us at Society at gmail.com. Here's what the Sonic Forces borrowing program is. You can borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. I own a copy of this game. I lost it. Now I have another one. Uh, And you can borrow it. All you got to do is uh, write to us with your mailing address. um, And then we send it to you. You play it for as long as you want or don't play it. You don't even technically need to own a Switch in order to participate in the program. Uh, And then you send it back and the envelope is already addressed and uh, the postage is paid for. It is the perfect borrowing program.
1: One small thing to add to this is small that thing. when you uh, write in with your mailing address, you go on a list. And the, so it is a queue. You should not expect immediate turnaround. No. It's, yeah, great point. Um, and second thing, which I thought you were
0: going to uh, bring up just now, is that there is also a copy of Untitled Goose Game in the mix. Um, it hides inside a Sonic Forces box. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. If you get the goose, you get the goose. Um, you had to return that as well, or not. I don't know. There are no rules technically here. Like you can do whatever you want. We just ask that you return it. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a perfect program. Of course. Mark, what else are we doing that we could use people's input on?
1: We are perilously close to our 433rd episode of this show. And of course, a feature that we do every week is 433, where we talk about something not at all Nintendo related for four minutes and 33 seconds. And for our 433rd episode, we're going to do an entire episode of 433s with topics suggested by you, our listeners. And so all you got to do is send in an idea for a 433 of a topic that you would like Patrick and I to talk about for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. And it can be anything. It can be related to anything. Um, try to stump us. You're probably really sick of us talking about, like, Marvel. So uh, if you want to hear us thing, talk about something
0: else... Would- you would think that people would be sick of us talking about Marvel and Star Wars, but quite a few suggestions, actually, still in, in that realm. So, look, I mean, I, there is a, an element of, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but whatever you want us to talk about, uh, email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. And get those to us by the end of the day on Friday, or it's not a Friday, but February 9th. Whatever day of the week that is, I don't have a calendar in front of me. <laughs> um, and we will talk about your topic for four minutes and 33 seconds and then someone else's topic for four minutes and 33 seconds and on and on in that fashion until you and I go crazy on Mike. Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. Okay, great. That makes that makes sense. Um, All right, Mark, we have got wait, the wait, second wait. half of the... Whoa, Let, yes.
1: Let's say thanks to Edward, Mark, Patrick, and Link for sending in suggestions uh, since Tuesday. And thank you to everybody who has sent them in thus far we're uh, really excited for this episode i think it's gonna be a lot of fun
0: yeah and no one should look at that list of names edward mark patrick and link and go wait a minute aren't two of those guys hosts of the show these are different marks and different patrick's um you'll have to take my word for it on that one um all right mark we've got the second half of the alphabet to explore let's get into our main topic the abcs of nintendo sports part two Okay, so last week we did the the easy part, right? We did A through M. And I, you know, whenever we do these uh, ABCs, these A through Zs, um, the first part is just easier. It's a more commonly used part of the alphabet. Um, The N through Z I found to be uh, difficult. Mark, did you have a a similarly difficult time here?
1: I did find it to be challenging, but I finished it up today. I feel good about where I'm at. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about these.
0: So we are starting with N. Mark, I will go first. My N, and stick with me on this long walk, because I'm taking us on a little bit of a walk, is North American spin-offs. But specifically, I am referring to a North American spin-off to punch out in the arcade, a little arcade game called Arm Wrestling that was never released anywhere (laughs) except in North America. It is a, like, Nintendo, it's a, uh, you know how they convert, um... Uh, you know, like Donkey Kong, uh, machines to be like other games. Uh, so this is a converted, um, Punch Out machine, which means it had the, uh, the the screen sort of like on the bottom, and then you actually played off of a, uh, reflection, reflected surface. Um, and it is a an arm wrestling game. Um, and is not good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it has the same sort of, uh, like huge sprite aesthetic. As um, Punch Out, and one of the characters is uh, his name is Mask X, um, and he's Bald Bull from Punch Out, but he's wearing like a luchador mask. Um, oh, interesting! So, like, it exists in the universe of Punch Out. Uh, as far as I can tell, has never been um a- a adapted or ported to any other um Nintendo platform. But you know, this is a a a, a Nintendo
1: arcade staple. From the mid '80s. Yeah, I've never heard of this game before, and it's played with like the with like button inputs and a j- yeah joystick. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, and has like the same like the same sort of idea as Punch Out, where like you're just waiting for like the visual cues of like this is when the this is when the guy gets tired, this is when he starts like pushing really hard, and so you have to like you know kind of block you know whatever by uh, it's it's more abstract than Punch Out, but it's the same basic concept of like you have to learn. All the cues from like what everyone is doing and that sort of plays into the enormous sprites of these characters
1: man it's kind of it's a little bit of a bummer that it's stuck in arcade because i feel like just in the same way that there was mike tyson's punch out i really think there could have been like a sylvester stallone over the top like tie-in if this, this had been totally a bigger hit
0: i mean 100 percent, mark i don't know if you're looking at the uh like the wiki for this page or for, for this game right now um but the the characters are hilarious um, there's Texas Mac, who is a, a cowboy not, who doesn't wear a shirt. He's just a huge, ripped cowboy, <laughs> uh, and he's, he's wearing a big cowboy hat. There's Kabuki, who's a sumo wrestler. He's essentially E-Honda, um, but in a, uh, a wrestling match, there's the aforementioned Mask X. Um, there's Alice and Ape 3, which is a monkey. You you arm wrestle against an ape, right? But he's being controlled uh, by <laughs> via machine by a little girl named Alice. Um, and then uh, the boss is a uh, his name is Frank Junior. He uh, he's a Frankenstein monster. You arm wrestle a Frankenstein monster. This is great. This game. These Isn't characters. Amazing?
1: You know, uh, I, I keep saying this, but there are still a few downloadable characters yet to be revealed for Smash Brothers, and I think it's That's time right. for this arm wrestling game to get its due in the video game library that is Smash Brothers Ultimate who
0: among those characters do you think uh alice and ape three or frank jr who's i
1: who's the poll here i like alice and ape three because uh i i mean i'm not looking at the nomenclature but i like that it uh, alludes to the fact that there might be previous apes
0: yes yes 100 percent. yeah it, it's like ape one 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 it's roman numerals right yeah I so I, I, I.
1: so it's like um an experiment gone wrong and it's like finally i got it right with the third one
0: Oh man, who are the first two apes, uh, Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong
1: Jr.? (laughs) Do we have to update our ranking of best Kongs to include Ape 3? I think we do. All right. My N is NBA Street V3, which is an E3 game, or sorry, EA game from 2005. And the reason why I'm including it on this list is because Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach. Were included as playable characters in the GameCube what? version of this game. So, according to GameSpot, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, according to GameSpot, NBA Street uh, V3 was part of a three-game deal between Nintendo and EA to have Nintendo characters appear in EA franchises. So, okay. I, I love this. Here's a quote from uh, GameSpot's original article from 2005. Where um, they reveal that Mario and friends were going to be back, going to be in the game, and it's from George Harrison, who was Nintendo of America's senior vice president of marketing and corporate communications at the time. And this is what he says: "Quote: Nintendo's characters have always proved they can compete on the world stage. Now they'll show that they can compete on the streets as well."
0: Man, I encourage everyone listening to this to go to Google and look for screenshots of this. Um, because if you're picturing Mario like humanified at all, like you are off base. It is as though someone is in a Mario mascot costume playing basketball against like real basketball players.
1: <laughs> it's a, and so I was trying to figure out what the other games that featured like um, Mario Luigi and Princess Peach were yeah. from EA. The only other one that I could find was SSX on tour, which is the snowboarding game. Um, yeah. And so that featured the same three characters. I don't know what the third one was. I don't know if the third one ever like actually happened. Um, but yeah, I d- I think I didn't know about this. If I d- yeah, had, if I, I did, I had for- I forgot about it at some point. But yeah, NBA Street B three. You can play as Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach against um, your favorite basketball stars from two thousand five on three on three basketball.
0: I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at a a, a, a still right now that is. Um, LeBron James, Mario, and Peach on the court together. <laughs> what is happening?
1: <laughs> so next is O, and my O is Olympic Games, specifically talking about the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games series. Um, Mark, we
0: are same Z's on this one. I'm per- also uh, uh, Olympic Games.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, there were like Olympic vi- themed video games on Nintendo consoles way before this but uh now since the series has been going since 2007 um we kind of i feel like i just take it for granted that like oh mario and sonic are together in a game and it's the olympic games like that which in a perverse way makes sense right the olympic games is about people all over the world putting aside their differences coming together for this one event and uh th- just how the olympics hopes to like heal some of the divide in the world so does mario and sonic the olympic games hoped to heal some sort of divide in the video game community, having these two heavy hitters in a game for the first time. And then every time since then, every two years, they've uh, had a new Mario & Sonic at the Olympic Games for the Summer Olympics, for the Winter Olympics. Um, and it's given well, us the they, gift... They, we, they took a couple of years off, right? I don't of, think so. I think they've had... Did, a, we, did
0: we have a 2018 uh, Winter Olympics Mario & Sonic? I'm pretty
1: sure we did when I was... I could, uh, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I know they had one for 2016. I know they had a Rio okay. one. Um, yeah, that tracks. And it was for the Wii U. But yeah, like this game, you can play as like, there's a lot of Mario characters that are, your play- that are playable. There's a lot of Sonic characters that are playable. Uh, it has given us a ton of beautiful like gif material, like uh, Bowser or Waluigi participating in rhythm g- gymnastics. I haven't played a lot of these games, but uh, it does make me happy that they exist.
0: I mean, I think much like the actual Olympics, uh, which end up being a sort of like salt the earth strategy where like the cities that host them end up, you know, being in dire financial straits for a long time. Uh, No Olympics LA, check them out. (laughs) Um, uh, That I don't think the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games are... um, like ever rise above the like oh this is fun or oh this is novel um, sort of level like even as uh, collections of like sports minigames I feel like there are series that even that Nintendo does that do it better um, but like I don't think anyone really approaches the sort of uh, zany again that crossover energy right um, of uh, Mario and Sonic both like taking on the Olympics at the same time it's pretty crazy
1: and you're right. 2018 did not have a Mario and Sonic game. It's because um, the Pyeongchang 2018 Winter Games, Ubisoft had the license for games based on oh. the the Olympics that year. Instead of so, I guess it wasn't available for Sega.
0: Weird. Weird that they can just like get in like with they just yeah. Get I don't understand. And, like, own it all one year. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah that that's very strange. Also, uh, I think. The Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games 2020 is obviously interesting in that um there were no Olympic Games that happened in twenty twenty. Um and now it's either starting to look like they're not gonna happen in twenty twenty one either, or that has been finalized. I I, I don't know where exactly. It hasn't we are been on finalized. That. Yeah. I, okay. I
1: think yeah. Nobody knows.
0: No nobody knows. Uh we live in weird times and
1: Mario and Sonic will be like the only Olympians. <laughs>
0: from uh 2020 which is a wild reality. But
1: it does it does make you wonder like okay, if these games were on like a 2-year schedule and yeah. the Beijing Winter Olympics presumably will happen in 2022, then like is the game still like are they still on that cadence or has like uh yeah, who knows. Yeah. Cuz I think technically yeah. they tw- the um the game for 2022 would be released this holiday season at the end of 2021 if it follows oh, like wow. the same cadence yeah. as the other games has have yeah i wonder
0: uh, if there are we should look into this at some point if there are is like a sales disparity between uh summer and winter olympic games <laughs> it probably just has to do with like the popularity of the nintendo console at
1: the time yeah right? i wonder be. i wonder but even if in within a generation like yeah um which is more popular.
0: Um so we both had the same O, um which brings us to P and so I I go first here but I wonder I have two different Ps I have uh, I have like a main P and I've got a backup P and I sort of want to discuss them both I think it's possible that you have also picked one of these Ps um so can I actually pressure you to go first on the Yeah plane?
1: totally so mine is Powerpad um specifically the, the Powerpad for World Class and playing it with World Class track meet which is the one power pad game that uh, i had when we had a nintendo entertainment system we talked a little bit about the power pad in part one um but the power pad was think of it basically like a uh like dance dance revolution type controller that you hooked up to your nes and it had two sides to it um on side a it it's eight buttons kind of in like a hexagon type pattern um with like two buttons up top one on the side two at the bottom another one on the side and then two in the middle and i never owned any games that used side a i think like dance aerobics was one i don't even know how many were released in the u.s that use side a but it is bizarre that that is side a right because side b
0: was the one that like came with the the pack-in game right of world-class track Meet. well but
1: the the power pad had both. So it was like you literally yes. just flipped it over. But yeah, like I understand yes. that, but
0: it's weird it's weird that they positioned A as the one that never got used. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like... I know.
1: <laughs> totally. So side B was the one that like, yeah, I used and that I would have totally thought was side A. In fact, I did think it was side A until I was looking at pictures of it, and I was like, wait a second, this can't possibly be right. But side yeah. B, uh, the one you use for world class track meet, it has twelve buttons. Um
0: I'm glad we figured this out between last week and now. <laughs> yeah. There was some debate last week.
1: Uh, so it's basically divided into like two sides um, w- with like three rows of two. Really, I guess like three rows of four. And um, two of them are blue, two of them are red, going all the way back. And basically like the buttons on the ground correspond to buttons on the controller. And in World Class Track Meet, you would run. And as you were like alternating legs it would translate to the movement of the character on the screen and then if you jumped on the power pad and so there was no pressure on either button it registered that as like a jump so you'd use that for the long jump the triple jump and also for hurdles
0: yeah which is all like it was all super cool and like the technology was like very novel but like it is a far cry from being a functional like fitness thing um because like Whenever when you're running with this thing, you need to, and it's to do well in any of in any of the races, you just needed to push those buttons with your feet as fast as possible, which meant lifting your legs as little as you could as you're running, and you're still doing that as fast as you can. But it does not resemble running <laughs> in the slightest. Like no. you look like a maniac. <laughs>
1: totally. And you know, like we when we wanted to go really fast, we wouldn't use our feet at all, and we would just like hit them with our hands as fast as we possibly could.
0: Yeah, I knew people that did that. I feel like I was always faster with my actual feet. But I was also
1: like, I trained myself to like do that very quickly. <laughs> so another interesting thing about the PowerPad is that if you live outside of the United States, the PowerPad probably, the name doesn't mean anything to you. And that's because oh, the PowerPad power was actually created by Bandai. And um, it was released for like um, fitness games in Japan, for like track games and fitness games in Japan. And uh, I believe in Europe as well. In the U.S., Bandai originally released it here, and then Nintendo bought the licensing rights to it in the United States. And it recalled the remaining like Bandai um, like interesting map controllers that were in the U.S. and replaced them with the Power Pad. And so, outside and so outside of uh, the United States, Bandai retained the rights to it. And so in the Wii era, it actually brought back, Bandai Namco brought back this Power Pad idea, and it was called the Mat Controller, and they were the ones who released it worldwide during the Wii era.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um, And and, uh, further makes sense in that one of the other games that I played with the Power Pad when I was a kid was a game called Super Team Games, developed by Bandai, um, which Uh, is a very, like, world-class track meet-esque kind of game, except it all, like, takes place at summer camp. Um, So, like, um, and it's a little bit more fun with its presentation. World-class track meet does, like, all just, you know, behind-the-shoulder sort of perspectives. It's pretty um, ugly. you're running straight down track. It's it's pretty ugly. Um, But Super Team games, like, everyone looks like an anime child attending a camp, um, and, like, it's a side-scrolling sort of thing, and, like, you would have to, like, uh, switch from uh, the the red set of buttons to the blue set of buttons to like run on different tracks to like avoid um, obstacles and stuff. And I believe it also even used the other side of the pad too in some of the other like little mini games that it presented. Um, it was a neat collection of um, you know map map pad. Is that what you called it? The uh, c- yeah. controlled games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, map controller. At least that's what it, the map controller is what it was called when it was re released during the Wii era. Man, I, I did not know that about the power pad, which was going
0: to be uh, one of my P's, but instead I'm going with my alternate P, which Mark should not surprise you to learn that I am using this as an opportunity to talk about Pocket Card Jockey <laughs> yet again. Pocket Card Jockey is a game for the 3DS where you are in charge of horse horses. You are racing horses, um, and you uh, have the ability to um, you, you play as a jockey um, and you meet different managers that can like spend money on your horses and they can give you uh, money when you um, do well and then you can buy like carrots or you know whatever you can whatever equipment to make the horse go faster. During the races themselves, you are controlling the horse by playing hands of solitaire. That's it. That's the whole game. It goes on for literally forever. You can play it for as long as you want. It is a beautiful game on the 3DS. I am sad every day that there's not a port for uh, for Switch. Um, it is my go-to playing game. Um, it's just fun and wholesome, and the writing is great.
1: Uh, I just, it, uh, it's a really great game. And so the like mechanics of how it works with the horse racing is it? Yes. Every time you like make a match with the cards that the horse moves like a little closer and then you have to like clear the whole board in order to no win it's
0: it's every time you go around a curve um and you know so different courses have a different number of curves um you have to uh play a hand of solitaire uh, and they're never it's never like a full deck right um and so like the game sort of has like different challenges laid out you never know exactly how many cards there are going to be there's some like wild effects that like certain cards can have, but mostly you're just playing sol- You're just playing like an abbreviated version of solitaire as fast as you can. Um, and if you can get, if you can clear the hand, that's, that's good. If you can clear the hand fast, that's even better. Um, and if you uh, fail or mess up or make mistakes, then like the horse runs slower through the next like leg of the, of the race.
1: Oh, got it. And this is a uh, pocket card jockey. Is also it's developed by Game Freak, right? The Pokemon yeah, people. That's right.
0: Yeah, and it is. Uh, I, I'm gonna say it. Uh, a game I like better than Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, does that mean that we'll go? We'll say then that the queue falls to me to to go next. Sounds good. We're all out of order. I'm sorry. We worked so hard to get the order <laughs> right from the beginning, and then I screwed it up. My cue is quick play mode on the Ring Fit in in Ring Fit Adventure. This Look, one of the things I really like about Ring Fit Adventure is it has this stupid quest mode to it. Um, This story, this RPG, where I am upgrading my shoes and my shorts and my tank top um, and fighting a dragon. Um, But sometimes you don't want to do all that garbage. You just want to do the workout, um, which is, you know, usually when I play uh, Ring Fit Adventure, I clock like 20 minutes of physical activity but it takes me like an hour to get through that, right? An hour of actually playing the game. You can just cut right to it with quick play. Just play the exercises you want. If you're like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do any leg stuff today. You can go into quick play and just do the exercise you want to do. Um, It has been a real, like an eye-opening experience for me being like, oh, I don't have to do, I don't have to like pretend I'm on some uh,
1: mystical quest. I can just exercise. My cue is quests talking about RPG elements in sports games. Interesting. So, in the game, kind of the opposite of what I just (laughs) said. (laughs) So, in the Game Boy Color and like Game Boy Advance era of Mario Tennis and Mario Golf games that were being developed by Camelot, they were coming like they were like staggered with console releases. Like, rarely were they released at the same time as console releases. And kind of the thing that differentiated them in this era was that the um, handheld versions on the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance, they had RPG-like elements in them. So they included story modes. Um, So, for example, in the story mode for the original Mario Tennis for Game Boy Color, you play as either Alex or Nina, who are new students trying to make their way up the ranks at the Royal Academy for Tennis, and their goal is to beat the best tennis player which of course is mario so as the uh player progresses through the ranks and they gain like experience points and the player gets to increase their character's ability in different areas similar to what you would do in an rpg so the four areas that can be improved in that first uh mario tennis game are speed power spin and control and so and they're like similar elements in the golf games and this is something that like you di- we didn't see a story mode return in the um uh the Mario Tennis games or any any of those Mario yeah, sports cer- games certainly not to the same extent yeah and like there was one in Mario Tennis Aces there was a story mode but it didn't ha- it wasn't like exactly the same and fans yeah. have been wanting and like clamoring for the return of that like RPG at ish story mode in these Mario Golf and Mario Tennis games. They're kind of, like, lauded in people's memories as uh, the kind of, like, apex of those series. Which I, I think is, uh,
0: you know, it, it is one of those things that's lauded by the, the fandom, and, uh, but it's sort of proven to be not just a, like, rose-tinted glasses thing, because that same, like, dynamic came back in the form of Golf Story, which is even more, like, RPG-based. Um, and that was a big hit, um, as far as like indie games on switch go. Um, and like, there's a lot of anticipation about sports story, which should still be coming out sometime this year. Um, so yeah, it's a, it does seem like that it's an actual good thing that people want.
1: Yeah. I, I loved golf story. Um, it was released exclusively to switch back in 2017. And wow. Um yeah, I'm really looking forward to sports story. To me, like golf story a little bit it reminds me of the relationship between Stardew Valley and Harvest Moon, where it's like, oh yeah, like somebody went ahead and just made that like Harvest Moon yeah. game that people uh like I, I not wanted. like remembered in their yeah. head, but like that they that they wanted. Yeah, exactly. There was kind of like that back to basics. And I think you're totally right that golf story um fulfilled that need for a lot of people.
0: Um, also, Mark, in, in doing some research and trying to figure out what my Q was going to be, I discovered that there is an F-Zero character named QQQ. He's a robot who uh, drives a race car. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about him. Mark, my R, or wait, you do R. You go R.
1: Okay, my R is referee. Um, before Mario got into uh, to the game with like his own sports spin-off titles. Yep. He was making cameo appearance, appearances in other Nintendo sports games as, like, the referee. He's the line judge in tennis for the Nintendo Entertainment System and the match referee in Punch-Out for the NES as well.
0: Yeah, he's a weird-looking Mario, but, like, he's, he's, that is still Mario. And this is, like, uh, you know, kind of goes back to the, um, the idea that Mario isn't just, like, a character. Um, he is a, he's a mascot. He was Mr. Video, right? um like even before like having the name Mario, he's Mr. Video, he's Jump Man. Um like you just are t- supposed to associate him with the Nintendo, with the product, the entertainment product that is Nintendo. Um and so yeah, they were like putting him everywhere. He's in every Game Boy launch game.
1: Oh, that's crazy. And usually as a referee. <laughs> I also it always weirds me out a little bit like um the North American box art for the NES game Golf has like a a human proportioned Mario. Maybe I don't know if it's setting. I don't know if it's intended to be Mario, but it's like
0: it looks like man Mario. It does human Mario.
1: Yeah, it's like uh he's wearing a red hat, a red shirt, Mm -hmm. but black pants, red uh shoes, and then he's he has a mustache. I. I I don't know, to this day, I don't know if he's supposed to be Mario, but it looks like human proportion Mario.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I have always believed that that is is secretly Mario. Uh, I I guess I don't know if we've ever seen conclusively. And then, like, after that, you know, Nintendo stops making um, golf games that don't feature Mario, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the next uh, golf game they put out is NES Open, which has, like, an actual cartoony looking Mario on the cover playing golf. Mark, my R is Rusty's Real Deal Baseball. Uh, this, uh, I know this is another game that we talk about from time to time on this show. It is a 3DS game um, that is free to start, um, and uh, it, it is a game where you go to a, a you know broken down, beaten down uh, uh, former baseball player named Rusty, who is a dog, um, and he now owns a sports memorabilia store. And he'll let you play uh, a handful of baseball related mini games. Um, But if you want to play like the more advanced versions of them or play them, you know, on an unlimited basis, you have to pay him money to do it. Um, But one of the amazing things about this game is that you can barter with the dog and actually pay less money for these games if you just tell them you want to pay less um you can also earn rewards within the mini games and like trade those in for like tokens that also like reduce the costs of the the individual games um the games themselves are all like sort of fun uh just kind of standard like nintendo uh you know mini games all of which are baseball related in in one form or another um but mostly this game is cool just because of its like personality and weirdness rusty is such a sad sack um like one of those one of those weird nintendo characters where you're like who who got into like the head and the heart of this like washed up baseball player and just wanted you to love him
1: i know i wish you know like uh we got a couple of games featuring like dylan the rolling armadillo and yeah i, I think and it's only one rusty Come i think on. it's sad i think it's sad that he languishes. Uh, like let's see, Rusty and more things. Remember that like moving out, um, uh, in or like indie game or whatever it was that like uh Nintendo published on the Switch eShop. It's like let's have let's have uh Rusty and like Rusty Son r- running that yeah. um moving company, uh r- or, or like that f- that first uh game that Nintendo published for the eShop where like there are robots. Of different colors, like butt stomping on tiles. No reason that can't be rusty.
0: Yeah, why isn't that Rusty's butt stomp? Um, Mark, my S is uh, a little NES game developed by Rare called Slalom. Are you familiar with Slalom? On I don't the think NES? so. So, uh, th- uh, like I said, it was a a Rare developed game. Um, and it is uh, it is a a weird downhill skiing game where you uh, you take the perspective of like behind the skier um and uh you are just like racing downhill and obstacles come at you um and it's like hard and fast and there the obstacles are too dense it's like bullet hell but on skis um and the game has very little personality um but it does have uh, like just the the look of it to me is very like evocative of i think there was a slalom arcade machine at the pizza hut that I used to go to um, when I was a kid. Cause I just have like the image of this, like a track screen in my head um, and like, you know, going in and putting a quarter in and then selecting which mountain I was going to race, uh, race my way down. Um, there's like a nice, like easy one, a sort of medium one, and then an absolutely terrifying one where like it, the, maybe it's just the way like the, the colors are on it, but it almost looks like a tree um in that like the drop off is like inverted like <laughs> after a bit and you're like how could you even ski down that um but it's a crazy weird little game uh and uh it's super difficult uh and I don't I don't like it
1: <laughs> also what like a uh, cool artifact in rares history you know they started making these um kind of like strange NES games and I don't know at what point they like got on Nintendo's radar and they were like hey do you want like the Donkey Kong license
0: yeah yeah absolutely wild right um and i mean this this is a, a game that was sold like in the um like Nintendo black box set um I, I think most of those games are are first party um and so maybe this was like sort of their their first flirting with like actually making uh rare like a, a a real development partner
1: my s is the Seattle Mariners yes, the actual baseball team which um Nintendo currently has like a ten percent Interest in, but at one time had a controlling interest, and uh, I encourage everybody to find a. There's an article on VideoGamesChronicle.com that talks about the time when Nintendo bought a baseball team. But I'll try to give like my the best version of the story that I can in a short yeah. amount of time. But before um, Satoru Iwata was president of Nintendo, the longtime president was Hiroshi Yama- Yamauchi, and he's like a notoriously like surly guy. But in 1992, he purchased a 60% share in uh, the Seattle Mariners, but uh, for, like, political reasons, had to limit his voting interest to 49%. Because basically the country was, and Major League Baseball was concerned with, like, a Japanese per, um, person having to control an interest in an American baseball team. But uh, the, current, the previous owners of the Seattle Mariners were uh, looking to, like, sell the team and take it outside of Washington. And so Yamamuchi, even, uh, even though he had no interest in the Mariners, particularly, like, he never went to a game, um, even when they, like, visited for some uh, expi- exhibition games in Japan, like, he never showed up. But he saw it as um, a sign of gratitude to, like, Washington, to, like, the community that helped Nintendo yeah. get a foothold in the United States. Um. Some other Nintendo connections. It's,
0: I I love that. I love the like just being the being a good neighbor aspect of it. Of like, um, yeah, no, we're gonna like invest in the community here. We're gonna like be part of the baseball team.
1: Yeah, and the Nintendo connections like continue to this day. Um, Howard Lincoln, who was the former president of Nintendo of America until the year two thousand, is currently the CEO of the Seattle Mariners, and uh, you know Nintendo still has like that ten percent interest, and so they've um even in modern day like in part one i talked about ken griffey jr presents major league baseball which is a nintendo developed and published game for the snes in 1994 but even in more modern times like there was a limited edition mariners ds Lite that you could only buy i think at the stadium uh they also introduced something called nintendo fan network which was again for the ds family of systems including the 3ds where you could order food at the ballpark and stuff like that. So, so cool! It's just one of those like small, like uh, one of those small, like really interesting parts of Nintendo history.
0: Um, it makes me wish that they would bring back stuff like that for um, Super Nintendo World. Um, that like you could walk around the park with your
1: Switch and like order food. <laughs> yeah, they have the, the like the power up bands, and I'm curious yeah, if they will have some play. sort of like NFC connection. Like um like an amiibo does once you get home with your switch or something like that, yeah that'd be super cool. My T is Tony Hawk Pro Skater for the Nintendo sixty four. Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about the soundtrack because this was an era of when this game came out it was like an era of like buying CDs. You had you could totally. buy a CD or you could like hear a song on the radio. So some of my only exposure to these songs really were from the soundtrack of this game and like i never played the playstation version extensively i only had the n64 version so apparently there are some like uh some of the songs are condensed or maybe missing or edited on the n64 version because of memory restrictions but i didn't have anything to compare it to so it was totally fine with me That's um, amazing. <laughs> in doing research for this article uh, i found this or in doing research for this, I found this article. That's what we refer to
0: these episodes as. Yeah. I
1: I found this Mike article um, that's, that talks about the soundtrack from the game and they have a quote from uh, the band Goldfinger basically saying that uh, the song having the The song song Superman Superman in this, like basically made their careers.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I was a big Goldfinger guy uh, in like junior high school and high school. Um, and hearing you know someone else play Tony Hawk uh, and hearing Superman like come out of their
1: PlayStation I was like what <laughs> and and after like after this that song was everywhere it was used in like TV yeah. promos like it really it really blew up
0: Um, right at the beginning of the uh, pandemic and like when everyone was doing like sort of lockdown music stuff I maybe even mentioned it um, but Goldfinger was releasing like videos of them doing um, you know, like isolated, uh, like performances of uh, various songs, and I th- think the first one they released was Superman, and it was great. Uh, mark my T is TNC Surf Designs Wood and Water Rage. Now, TNC Surf Designs, Town and Country Surf Designs, is a skateboard company, um, that uh, I guess lent their name or uh, collaborated in some capacity with LJN Games to develop a game for the NES that is half skateboarding game, half surf game. And when I say that it is half of one and half of the other, it is literally one level of uh, skateboarding and then one level of surfing. And then it goes back and forth and does it all over again. It's one of those like, you know, 1987, something like that um, NES games that is like feature poor right uh like does not uh have have a lot in it but the the skating sections you are uh it's just like a side scrolling uh avoiding obstacles sort of thing where like the street is desperately under construction <laughs> there are holes and cones everywhere also ramps don't forget ramps so you can get over the bigger holes um and then the uh surfing part is just um you have to like navigate a uh like a big I don't I don't know surf terms uh, but like a, there's a a big wave that doesn't go away and you just sort of have to like work up the momentum as you like go up the wave and back down it and like get right out uh, of it uh, in the middle so you don't get knocked down um and then it just repeats those two levels over and over again it is not a good game um but I uh, have uh, wild memories of it the the play there are four playable characters in there and one of them is a monkey and I'm not saying that it's ape 3 but it might be ape three.
1: No reason it couldn't be.
0: His name is Thrilla Gorilla, so I guess that's maybe better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, man, LJN is like a, a notoriously bad publisher or developer. Um, so yeah, like they made a lot of games that haunt my memories, including I remember renting this Jaws video game for the NES that like never Where he plays the boat. <laughs> Yeah, like n- never understood it. Never understood yeah. what you were supposed to do. And maybe it's not that bad of a game, but I just like absolutely did not understand it.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, uh looking at it now, it was developed by Atlas and published by LJN. Ooh. Atlas.
1: <laughs> I'm looking this up too. And Patrick, I'm happy to tell you that there is a Town and Country Two Thrillers Safari.
0: Okay, now that sounds much better than. Uh, <laughs> Wood and water rage, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you have to it, you have to eat your vegetables because you have to introduce no, you have to introduce this uh cool surfing monkey before you can give him his own spinoff.
0: Um, so I I, I guess uh, the the characters in the game and the, the other ones are uh there's a guy named Joe Cool. There's a tiki man who's wait wait like wait 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 the cigarette mask. camel. No 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 it's a different it's a different Joe Cool, <laughs> and it's also not Snoopy right. <laughs> <laughs> Um and then there's a uh, cool cat. Um the, these are the the four characters and I guess they actually are um town and country um like mascots already, characters that would have been on their uh skateboard decks and stuff. Um which like there is something st- as crappy as this game is and as obvious as like a cash in as it is, there's something very appealing about um like a skateboard company's coll- weird collection of mascots that would normally just be like stickers and stuff. Um, showing up in a video game like there's something kind of punk rock about that that I feel like doesn't happen now. Um, all right, moving on to you, Mark. I know that we've been we've been playing with some kind of like old stuff, right? I've talked a lot of of, uh, NES games, um, some like you know uh, mid '80s uh, Nintendo arcade games. I'm going to take us back to 1967, a Nintendo product called the Ultra Machine. This is the slow pitch softball machine that Nintendo uh, made and sold in Japan. Um, that was just, it's like a, a pitching machine that you can hit balls uh, without having someone to throw the balls at you.
1: Are you familiar with the Ultra Machine, Mark? No, I'm not familiar with the Ultra Machine. But there's so much of Nintendo history before the NES that I don't really have any context for. But Nintendo's been like a toy making company for over 100 years now yeah
0: well and this is one of those things that like nintendo likes to keep uh you know like in in their like conscious memory um because the ultra machine shows up in uh various warioware games um and in the aforementioned rusty's real deal baseball uh one of the games is you are you know hitting balls against the ultra machine as it pitches as it pitches them to you um but yeah it's just one of those cool like weird old Nintendo relics um, that like only collectors and museums have now. Um, I would love to see one in person someday. Uh, I can't imagine anyone is uh, hitting those balls anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what a a cool little piece of like
1: Nintendo history. That is fun. And and you're right. It is fun when those like um, pieces show up in modern games. Like this is not a modern game, but when we were playing um, uh, Super Mario Land 2, six golden coins, there's an entire like world or level that's built around like Nintendo's attempt at Lego blocks, basically.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's also weird.
1: And I really, at this point, whenever the Virtual Boy shows up, it's essentially that same thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. And in, like 20 years in 20 years, the Wii U will show up in something. Yeah, You'll be like, yes. <laughs>
1: well, my U is unauthorized. I uh, so in most of today's sports video games are like officially licensed from the league like FIFA or M- like Major League Baseball, um the NFL, but that was not always the case. Uh for a lot of these early sports games, they would do the developers would do things like they would use the team city and its colors with player accurate stats and jersey numbers, but they would have altered or like no names right. at all. You would just be working with like the jersey numbers. Or even when they were licensed by the league, like uh, some early MLB games, or even as recently as the NCAA football series from EA, they like they would use the team logos because those were licensed, but they didn't have the rights to the players, so they wouldn't. You know, it it was clearly and obviously the players, but they just couldn't name it. Um, yeah, it's in now. I feel like the vast. <laughs> it's ma- funny that that. That feels smarmy
0: now, but, like, back in the day, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But as we get, like, closer to now, and you're, you're saying, like, oh, yeah, they're using basically the players' likenesses, and it's like, oh, those,
1: <laughs> that's not good. Well, especially for, like, NCAA football, where you're like, yeah. okay, the schools are already making so many millions so of dollars money. off yes. of these players, and the players aren't able to, like, um, earn anything for it. And so here's EA making a football sport video game where people are able to play as these characters except or these people except not because they're not allowed to use the name. Um that's actually why like basically uh in two, 2013 was the last NCAA football from EA. Uh partly because like a few of the conferences uh didn't agree to license uh their like property anymore and also because we've been having this conversation about like should we compensate student athletes for like, close, like, more than 10 years now. I was looking at this article from 2013 in the New York Times about EA stopped, stopping development on yeah. NCAA football, and th- they're already talking about the compensation discussion as being old news. So it's like, we've been doing this for a really long time, and it's just funny to, it's just interesting to see, like, the history of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, then, you, then your V.
1: Yeah, so my V is versus... And it's just a general thing, like, multiplayer in sports games is so important. Um, The most fun that I've had playing sports games has always been with other people. And uh, when we get to it, my, like, W is probably, like, the prime example of that. But, uh, yeah, like, the multiplayer is such an important part of these sports experiences for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and not just multiplayer, but like competitive multiplayer. Like, I feel like I'm such a co-op guy in general. Um, like if if I'm playing a game with someone, uh, I probably want us to not be trying to beat each other. Um, but if it's a sport sports game, then all bets are off. Like, you know, uh, we, we need to be in competition. Uh, sports are competition. Uh, so yeah, let's, yeah, I think versus is a super important part of that. Mark, and piggybacking off of that, um, my V is the Versus System. Uh, this is another uh, old school hardware pull um, from me. Uh, so it is a sort of modified NES. You, it's, it's an arcade system that uh, Nintendo re- was releasing in um, the late 80s um, that they were able to kind of, you know, put out um, what are effectively NES games as arcade cabinets. Um, and you know, they're, they're a little bit juiced up. They were, they had a little bit bigger, um, like color palette. They were a little bit faster. Um, and they were in arcades, mostly to feature, um, you know, multiplayer uh, and competitive games. We see some of those games now on, on like the, um, NES switch online, like excite bike versus, um, and there might be like a Mario version. No, yeah. maybe just excite bike versus, um,
1: no, there is, there's the, there. there's the super Mario Brothers versus version.
0: Okay, is, is that in that collection or is that uh, like sold separately? So? I think it's
1: sold separately.
0: Okay. Um, but uh, obviously a lot of the uh, two-player versus competitive games ended up being the early NES sports games. Um, so, you know, even though it is basically just putting an NES in an arcade, um, it's how they were able to sort of like plur- uh, uh, get, get more of these uh, uh, NES sports games like out there uh, and get people competing against each other, and putting two quarters into a machine instead of one. Uh, which brings me to my W, and I know we sort of talked about this a little bit already, but I gotta give it up for Waluigi. Um, Mark, I know you, uh, we we talked about Waluigi a little bit in your D for doubles partners, um, but uh, I mean... You know, what else can you say about Waluigi than like he's too mysterious? We don't know what he's about. Uh, he started off as Wario's uh, doubles partner for tennis, uh, and then he's just sort of stuck around, um, but almost exclusively in a sports context. I guess also a party context. But like Nintendo's reluctance, nay, refusal to put him in any sort of like narrative based anything is awesome. Like he, all he does is party and play sports. Um, and I sincerely hope they never expand on that mythology. Um, as much fun as it would be to like know what Waluigi's deal is or see him in Smash or whatever, um, no, I just want him playing baseball or like, kicking a soccer ball or whatever.
1: I totally agree. And Nintendo leaves us like, strange, tantalizing hints that they know that there's more going on, like the fact that, um, as opposed to Mario, Luigi, and Wario's hats, which have their initial stitched into it. Um, Lu- while Luigi's hat just has a sticker, as in as if he is uh, kind of like an imposter in this Mario scene.
0: That's right. Like he showed up, he drew a squiggly mustache on his face <laughs> and stuck a sticker on a purple hat and was like,
1: "It's a me." <laughs> but I guess, but I hope we'll never know for sure exactly yeah, what's going too, on in too. that twisted little mind of his. Um, my W is for Wii Sports. I think that we'd be remiss to talk about uh, sports in Nintendo and not talk about Wii Sports, which is, I think, inarguably the most influential game of that generation. Yeah. Not just in the Wii, but also like the 360 and the PlayStation 3. We would see, like, uh, obviously Microsoft with the Kinect and how that went on to affect the launch of the Xbox One but then also Sony with their like PlayStation Move. This was like the motion controls and that like the Wii brought and then the fact that Wii Sports was a pack in the United States, like it was a game changer in the way that Tetris was a game changer yeah. for the Game Boy. Everybody was buying a Wii, everybody was playing Wii Sports. It I think there are probably tons of Wii's in households still that get booted up to play Wii Sports when families get together. When friends get together, because it it's a totally approachable all ages game that's fun to play. And uh yeah, like it was the blue ocean strategy of that yeah. Wii generation. Just like uh it's the perfect example of it. It launched with it and it yeah, it you can't be we beat Wii Sports.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think you 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 nail it when you uh like call out it its approachability, like yeah the the motion controls are are one thing right like everyone can understand the motion controls but the fact that there are no like you know characters that anyone has to understand like it's just you're playing as your me's which are like another fun thing that you can make like with your parents or with your grandparents or you know what anyone it's it's fun for anyone to make a me um and then like the games themselves are presented as kind of no nonsense right like you just bowl you don't pick stats you don't level up you don't have different bowling alleys um, like you just get down to the heart of it you just do the thing um Wii Sports I think is hugely underrated in its I mean uh, the game sold more than like anything so maybe underrating it isn't possible um but like it, the, the way that it, it cuts out any of any of the fat around uh, any of its experiences is uh, truly remarkable especially um, from nintendo which has a tendency to just like add stuff uh sometimes um yeah wii sports is uh tight and wonderful and good
1: i also when we were uh in june when we were watching old e3 presentations mm-hmm. uh, it really made me appreciate the approachability and the simplicity of like the wii's motion controls and the wii controllers it w- melded with wii sports from the very beginning like I feel like more than 10 years on from the Wii, we take it for granted, like, motion controls in video games. But, yeah. uh, you know, like, you, watching that presentation and then watching the Wii U presentation just a few years later, and the, the contrast and the simplicity with which they're able to, like, illustrate the Wii and what makes the Wii so unique and cool versus the struggle with the Wii U makes it so clear at like what like a brilliant and now obvious seeming idea the Wii was, but how like kind of like revolutionary it was at the time. Mark, I'm going to
0: do something a little bit strange here. Uh, I'm going to pull in my X for a second because I didn't really have an X. Uh, what I'm t- what I did instead was I took the plus sign from uh, Wii Sports Plus Wii Sports Resort, a package that would have both of those games in it, and just sort of rotated it 45 degrees to make an X, um, uh, because I also just wanted to talk about Wii Sports uh, and Wii Sports Resort and how the, you know, there is a whole line, obviously, of, um, you know, Wii games, Um, Wii Music, Wii Fit, um, Wii Party, and a couple of other ones. Um, But Wii Sports uh, is a franchise that I feel like they should, should endure, right? Like, it is something that is bigger than the rest of the Wii branding even bigger than, like, the system itself. Um, if they were to put out a Wii Sports Switch, um, everyone, everyone would buy it. Everyone would buy it to play with their, uh, with their parents, with their cousins, with anyone who comes to visit. Um, there, there should just be an unending supply of Wii Sports
1: stuff. I totally agree. It should be like a Mario Kart or a Smash Brothers where we just kind of yes. anticipate getting one every generation. And I worry a little bit that because um, I think, like, you know, the Wii and the Wii U generation, I, I worry that it, there is, like, nostalgia for it, but also that Nintendo is a little, like, tenuous to bring up Wii yeah, Sports they're because shy. Yeah. they're trying to, like, it's be like, no, like, the Switch, we're repositioning it differently. It's a, it doesn't have that same, like, for, it's for everyone, but in a different way than the Wii was. Because by the end yeah. of the, you know, like, the Wii era, when the Wii wasn't getting, like, a ton of games, it was, it, was, it had kind of, like, a bad right, reputation. It, mm-hmm. And it's, and even now, like, when you think of the Wii, you think, like, oh, yeah, like, my grandma has one in her, like, uh, basement, and we, like, sometimes play when we get together. But it just has a different connotation now, and I don't want that to taint Wii sports, because I think the idea, like you're saying, is something that we should be seeing for every console.
0: Yeah, well, and so this was uh, earlier in the episode when I was talking about, uh, or when we were talking about the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, kind of just being like a collection of like sports games. Uh, this, is, this is what I was talking about, of like, here's how Nintendo does that better, um, is through Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort. Just the Wii Sports series is so much better at presenting um, sports minigames and them being fun and approachable and accessible and, and fun. Totally. Um, I think I said fun twice and possibly even accessible twice.
1: (laughs) It's doubly true. Um, Mm -hmm. Should I I jump into my X? Yeah. Okay. So I also um, am using X uh, in like the way that you see it on road signs. So I'm using it for crossing. And because I want to talk about cross generation games. Uh, So the Switch has seen a lot of Wii U games, Nintendo first party Wii U games, like ported to it with enhancements and but that's not like an entirely new phenomenon um the first time nintendo that i'm aware of that nintendo brought like games from one kind of underperforming console and ported it to a highly performing console was back in 2008 when nintendo announced a line of gamecube titles that would be ported to the switch under the banner of new play control in uh north america and it kicked off in north america in january 2009 with mario power tennis with support for motion controls and i believe that that is the only mario tennis game that the we got was um outrageous (laughs) was that this one that was ported from the gamecube they added motion controls i know uh in the reviews and not everybody was like a fan of the motion controls but um yeah it's just interesting to see like Nintendo kind of repeating the same playbook when it's like, yeah, we have a perfectly good tennis game that was well regarded on the GameCube that uh, nobody played because it was on the GameCube, so let's just bring it to the Wii.
0: The new play control, uh, like series of games or like the the set of games is so, uh, strange because like uh, there is uh Mario Power Tennis, there's uh Metroid Prime and Metroid Prime Two, um, which uh, you. My my stance on the motion controls in the uh, Prime games is uh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but like Pikmin and Pikmin 2 are also in that collection, as is Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which isn't the thing that's c- crazy about that is that it is taking the control away from the bongo controls, which made it so like novel and unique in the first place. And they're like, no, now you just fake the bongos with a Wii remote and a, a nunchuck. It's... And you could have plugged that into the Wii anyway, because it had the <laughs> ports for it
1: yeah it's a weird collection of games like uh pikmin 2 even i think at least in north america like it went straight to the player's choice line so you got the (laughs) i I think it was immediately 20 bucks yeah yeah um a a good way to
0: move a a pretty good game uh which what uh okay so now I'll, i'll do my why now okay um My why, and this is where the very end of the alphabet here is where I think I get the most generous with what I consider a sport. Um, I'm talking about Yoshi's Safari on the uh, Super NES. It is one of the very few Super Scope 6 games. Mark, are you familiar with Yoshi's Safari?
1: No, uh, I've never played it only with reputation because like the Super Scope is like the light gun for the Super Nintendo, right? And I never owned one. Yeah, it is the light like gun for the Super Nintendo. I also never
0: owned one, but I had a buddy who did. Hey, Pete. Um, and uh, I, he, he never had this Yoshi Safari game, though, um, which is a weird, judging from the videos of it that I've watched, uh, a, a weird gaming experience. You are Mario riding on the back of Yoshi, who is, I guess, on Safari, but that is perhaps a misnomer. You're just like riding through the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, shooting bad guys with the super scope. Um, and, and the super scope, as far as like light guns go, is bizarre because they didn't want it to be just like, a you know, a, a handheld gun or, you know, anything like that. It has the form of like a shoulder mounted bazooka, right? Where like it has a button on the top that you had to push and also has like a trigger and like it has to rest on your shoulder. It's very strange um so uh yeah that's just this game uh you ride on the back of yoshi it's basically a first person perspective from
1: mario's eyes as he's shooting a gun at flying goombas and stuff uh that sounds amazing my why <laughs> is also yoshi i wanted to talk about like yoshi's transformation physical transformation from being beast of burden in uh the first su- in super mario world and then uh, yes. uh yoshi's Island. Into a more anthropomorphic being who can act as a sports star. I think in doing research for this that Mario Kart 64 is the first time where like Yoshi changed from being dinosaur-like with like small T-Rex arms to being more human-like. So like standing more upright instead of being bent over, his well, arms are for long sure. sitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but also, as I was, like, looking into this, trying to figure out exactly when Yoshi made that transformation, I stumbled across something else that was new to me. And so I wanted to talk about it. According to Yoshi's creator, Takashi Tezuka, Yoshi is a turtle. What? <laughs> now, uh, some there is obviously... What?! <laughs> There's a lot going on here, right? Because uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the Western localizations and like the U.S. localizations, Yoshi has always been a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, it's a little less clear. Um, I, the Japanese word for dinosaur contains the character for dragon, and so like he like sometimes has been referred to as a dragon. On the official bio for Yoshi in the kids section of the Japanese Nintendo website, it reads, "quote." Even though there's a shell on his back, the saddle is a shell, we actually right. don't know whether Yoshi's a dinosaur or a turtle. So Nintendo is hedging its bets a little bit here, but Tezuka, uh, yeah. not so much. So uh, in an interview with Nintendo Dream, which is a uh, Nintendo magazine in Japan, uh, mm-hmm. for the release of either Yoshi's Crafted World or Woolly World, hold on, let me... Oh, Crafted World. This was for uh, the release of Crafted World. Uh, there's this interview, as uh, translated by Nintendo Everything, and this it says, Nintendo Dream asked the question, we talked about this in a previous interview for the SNES Classic Edition, but Yoshi is a turtle, isn't he? And Tezuka says, yes, I had to always insist that he was a turtle. Parentheses all laugh. Because we wanted a character that wouldn't feel out of place in the Mario universe, we decided on a turtle. It might've been Miyamoto's idea, but I'm not entirely sure. The Nintendo Dream follows up, I think because the message you can read at Yoshi's house says, Super Dragon, people thought he might have been a dinosaur. And to, Oh, uh, because, again, the Japanese word for dinosaur contains the right. character for dragon. And Tezuka says, I think we wrote that without really thinking about it too much. So. Which I, th- I think that's the heart
0: of it, is that I think we developed this without thinking about it too much, <laughs> is really what, what's happening here.
1: Yeah, uh, in, in the interview for the SNES Classic Edition, when where they're talking about it, basically what he says is, like, the genesis of it was that um, they needed, a, like, something that could fit within, like, that made sense within the Mushroom Kingdom, right? And there aren't really dinosaurs, and so that's why it was like, oh, it's kind of like a ki- type of Koopa. So it would have a shell. So Yoshi's kind of like a turtle. But um, Tezuka's pretty like upfront that he, that he insists that, that Yoshi is, is a turtle.
0: turtle. I mean, the part of it that I definitely do buy is that uh, Yoshi is kind of like a turtle. Like, there are definitely turtle-like qualities. His face is very turtly, <laughs> Like especially it? Especially in, yeah, in the original uh, Super Mario World. Like, his face, if that face were, like, coming out of a shell... You'd be like, "That's obviously a turtle." You wouldn't question the head for a second.
1: Well, here's also an interesting wrinkle: is in the uh, the user turtles man- don't wear shoes. That's just all <laughs> I'm gonna say. In the user manual for uh, Super Mario Kart in the United States, Yoshi's uh, referred to as a dragon, so none of this <laughs> makes any sense. Well, the simple fact of the matter is, he's a Yoshi. Like <laughs> we know this, right? Well, yeah, I mean, on, uh, yeah, and the quote unquote canon of all this changes all the time, like in the SNES uh, manual for Super Mario World, the story that's setting the whole thing up is that Yoshi, that Yoshi was trapped in the egg that you find him in by um, like Bowser and his minions. So it's not like a natural place for Yoshi to be. He's trapped in there and Mario like breaks him out. And obviously, I think that has gone by the wayside.
0: Because we've seen Yoshi's lay eggs. They use them for weapons all the time, Mm -hmm. which is maybe another thing we don't have time to unpack at the moment. (laughs) Mark, what do you got for Z? My Z
1: is zany peripherals. Mm, And I think uh, my my Z may be one of those zany peripherals. (laughs) So this was definitely most acute in the Wii era, in my opinion. Um, Some favorites include the sports pack that you could buy, like in tons of different configurations. That were, uh, like, plastic, mm. like, generally very cheap, like, plastic peripherals that you could snap your Wiimote uh, into to transform it into, like, a tennis racket, a table tennis paddle, a golf club, um, and more, like, a very little actual utility. Uh, I saw some that were, like, boxing gloves, where basically you put, like, the, ac- like, they're huge because you put the Wiimote, like, yeah. in the glove. Um, a plastic football of unknown utility. Like the buttons could pop up where the laces are, but what you're but supposed you to be do to with it, that B like, I don't yeah. know. Uh, also, there was a NHL game, a hockey game called NHL Slapshot from EA Sports that included like a stick that's kind of like the size of a, uh, a Guitar Hero guitar where you would put the Wiimote in there, but then also the nunchuck. So you could be like, controlling it using the nunchuck and to swing the stick back and forth. And you would have to do things like bring it up and like cross it when you were getting into a fight or like to brace against somebody.
0: I man, I tell you what, anyone that wasn't Wii Sports was wasting their time <laughs> making <laughs> sports games with Wii controllers. It was, it just, it, none of that makes any sense. It was
1: just a weird, it was such a, it was definitely, I feel like the peak of like third party peripherals, um, cause there yeah. were not Nintendo related, but there was that, like, I think it was a Tony Hawk game, like an infamous Tony Hawk game that had like a, uh, um, a skateboard peripheral that you were supposed to like control it with that was famously notoriously bad.
0: Yeah, I believe that's Tony Hawk Ride. Yeah, Ride has the the skateboard controller. Um, and that came out right around the same time as DJ Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember because the boxes are the exact same size, and both e- either of these games will cost you uh one twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> like that was it. It was one of those things where uh. You gotta be like, do you start with the price point? <laughs> and you're just like, that's how much people will pay for a kind of okay game with a ridiculous peripheral.
1: Man, just like apartments and dorm rooms and like house living rooms just cluttered with so many of these like plastic peripherals.
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe my uh Zany Peripheral, my Z is the Zapper, the NES Zapper. Um, the gun that came with the uh system that uh or at least it did if you had uh, a pack in that included Duck Hunt. Um, and I think it is meaningful and important that the game that Nintendo uh, pushed most, you know, pushed forward to support the Zapper uh, wasn't, you know, Hogan's Alley, which is a like a, a, a cop shooting, like shooting range um, thing, or any of the other games where, you know, like the gun is a weapon. Um, the gun is a tool in a hunting game in Duck Hunt. Um and I I think you know Nintendo's always been a little bit uh like looking back on my experience with the the Zapper it is it kind of blows my mind that there was like a Nintendo gun that like the it just seems so antithetical to um Nintendo's values uh at the time and now and every time in between um but the Zapper is such an iconic piece of hardware um, you know, we had that original gray zapper. Mark, did, did you grow up with the gray one? Or no, the we had the one?
1: orange one, the one that they, like, started issuing to make it look less like a gun.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, which is smart. Like, make that thing look less like a gun. We Kids don't need to be holding real guns or anything that looks like a real gun. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's such an iconic part of, uh, you know, what playing the NES was. Uh, and it's sad to me how that is so locked now in time because like light gun technology doesn't work on modern TVs. um, So like, we just don't see that anymore. Um, You know, duck hunt as a franchise sort of lives on um, in the uh, smash brothers character. That is the duck hunt dog and duck uh, combo. Um, uh, Duck hunt was released on the Wii U eShop. Um, a, a couple years ago and I believe you play it either with like touch controls or something Um, but like you can't play it with like a regular uh, NES zapper Um, which is is the real shame the thing is so simple like to your uh, to your point about the weird zany peripherals uh, from the Wii uh, era how many like buttons you still need to try to manage as you are pretending you're your wii remotes are boxing gloves um there's just one button on the zapper and it's the trigger that's it
1: yeah and uh i actually i guess the wii was kind of the last hurrah for nintendo zappers because that's when we got the wii zapper which of course whenever we bring it up i'm obligated to say um was packed with uh um oh man link's Link's crossbow crossbow training. training which is the fifth best selling Zelda game of all time
0: in the United States in the United States you're right an important caveat mark we did it we've done a through z um i think these are phenomenal lists and have highlighted uh the uh, maybe even more than any of the other like abc lists that we've done uh the true breadth of like nintendo's uh weirdness uh, we go as far back as 1967 here, Mark. 1967—that's Mad Men times. All right, let's close this up. Um, if anyone has any strong Nintendo sports memories that don't quite fit into the ABC format or whatever, or if us talking about the games and hardware and stuff that we have been talking about triggers anything for you, you can always write into us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com um uh, mark when when we started this uh i think we were both a little bit nervous to be like oh there's not uh maybe a lot here that we are like super familiar with um but obviously uh there's enough that we find interesting or that we uh did have fun with um that uh you know
1: we we had we had enough we had enough enough yeah I, i had a lot of fun i had a lot of fun like kind of like having to do the research yeah doing the research is fun too um, all right, that's going to do it
0: for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. We appreciate it. When you do, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nin Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by 8BitBetty. You can get more of his music by going to 8bitbetty.com or by listening right now. From my co host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening.